Hey, welcome to Daring Faith. This is a nine-week series we're embarking on. It was developed by Pastor Rick Warren at his church, Saddleback Church in California. We're talking about how faith and miracles go together. Today, we're talking about what happens when you have faith. If you go to the Grand Canyon, you'll see warning signs at all the trailheads at the top of the rim, and they all say this, caution, down is optional, up is mandatory. So many people will try to go to the bottom and back in one day, and they'll get injured or they'll get hurt. They need to be rescued, and so it's just a warning. Know what you're getting into before you start this journey. I want to do something similar for you. This is called daring faith. During this series, I want you to know what you're in for. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to prod you. I'm going to poke. I'm going to push you to make some real commitments to God through faith. And I'm willing to do this because when we exercise faith and when we feel that discomfort, it means we're growing. And those times when we grow like that are times where our prayers get answered and we grow more mature and we love God and other people more. So I'm really excited for you to start this journey if you're ready to. I want you to take a Bible if you've got one and look at this verse. This is foundational. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It says, this good news, this gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, if you were to go over in your Bible a little bit further to Hebrews, it says this, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So just think about that. If the Bible says that God rewards people who have faith, that it's how you live is through faith, in fact, you can't please God without faith. What is faith? Well, we're going to take the next nine weeks to look at that. Faith is like music. There are so many aspects that come together with this, and we want to explore all of them. First thing I want to talk about, though, is just to make sure we're clear on what faith is not. Faith is not desire. Faith is not just wanting something badly enough to make it happen. When I was a kid, I desperately wanted Star Wars to be real. I firmly believed if I looked at the sky enough, I might see laser beams going back and forth between spaceships fighting each other. It was never going to happen because it wasn't real. My faith, my desire wasn't going to make that a, a thing. I'll tell you what else faith isn't, and a lot of people fall into this trap. They think it's making believe, that it's believing something to be true even though you know it's not. It's, faith isn't pretending. It's not we all just sit around and say, well, in our deepest heart of hearts, we know that it's not real, but we're going to act like it is. So at Texas Roadhouse, do you like the cinnamon sugar butter? Like, who doesn't? Did you know that it's a thing now that you can buy at the grocery store? The channel It's a Southern Thing says, if you see me eating this straight out of the tub, y'all just mind your own business. I can see myself doing this. I could very easily convince myself and find experts who would affirm this, that it's a part of a well-balanced diet to eat an entire tub of that. It doesn't make it true. Faith isn't just pretending something's right, even if it's not. Here's a big thing, too. Faith is not a feeling. So many times I think we think that it is, though. The truth is, faith is often contrary to our feelings. Sometimes you feel like, okay, if I've got faith, it means that I'm going with my gut. I'm going to just trust. Oftentimes your gut's going to tell you this is a bad idea, but someone you trust, on the other hand, is telling you, no, this is something you need to do. And so many times when you have faith, you're actually going against your feelings. So many times your feelings will tell you this is a bad idea, but you know the right thing to do is something different, and you move forward to that. That's faith. I'll tell you something else faith isn't. It's not bargaining with God. It's not a, God, if, if you'll do this, I'll do this. God's not into that. You don't say, okay, we're going to work out a deal. We're not going to negotiate anything here. That's not faith. So what is faith? As Pastor Rick Warren says, faith is looking at life through God's eyes. 
It's seeing things the way God sees them and taking his viewpoint. There's another great verse out of Hebrews. This is actually the same chapter, but verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for is actually going to happen. It gives us assurance that, about things that we cannot see. Faith is assurance. It's hope. And, and when you talk about biblical hope, it's a little bit different than the way we use hope in our vernacular today. Oftentimes when we say, I hope, what we mean is, I would really like this to be true, but I'm not sure that it is. I, I hope this happens, but maybe it will, maybe it won't. And biblical faith and biblical hope are different. I maybe give you an analogy that makes sense for me. If I come home tonight and I open the door and I smell cinnamon and then my wife Kirsten says, guess what? We're having apple pie later. It's in the oven right now. Well, since I have faith in my wife, she tells the truth. I believe her. I don't have to go look at the oven. She's telling me there's apple pie. I'm actually getting some evidence. I smell the cinnamon and the delightful pie crust. So I believe her. And I have hope that there's pie in my future. It's not, well, boy, wouldn't this be great if it happened? It's like, I know it's going to happen eventually. Right now I have hope. In the future, I'm going to have pie. And so that's what it's like to look at life through God's eyes. If God tells you something, you have hope. You know it's going to happen. You trust him. You know, and so what he's saying here in the, in the, in the Hebrews uh, section I just read, it's learning to look at life the way God sees it and trusting his viewpoint instead of your own. You know this to be true. There's so many different ways to look at things. Like, you know, if you've got friends and you've got into some discussions over politics or anything else, you know there's different ways of looking at things. If you're married, you certainly know there's more than one way to see things. If you've got kids, there's no doubt. <laughs> there's so many different ways. But what we're talking about here is to see things the way God does. There's a great verse in Ephesians that talks about this perspective that God has. It's Ephesians 1.18. It's actually a prayer I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. This imagery of opening the eyes of our hearts, it's obviously it's metaphorical, but what does it mean? Well, this is actually a beautiful picture. This prayer is about just asking for God to show us all of reality beyond just what we can see with our five senses and experience with our five senses. There's so much more to reality than what, we already in the 21st century get this. There's so many parts to the physical world that you can't, like x-rays and black holes and, you know, bacteria. There's so many things we already agree in the physical world I can't necessarily see with my eyes and I trust that they are real still. But then what the Bible tells us is there's a whole other realm, the spiritual realm, that is just as real as the physical realm, maybe even more real, because this stuff's going to go away. But, like, for example, the Holy Spirit, who's part of the spiritual realm, is eternal. So, you know, there's a whole other aspect of life that we don't see, and this prayer is about, God, will you just give us a glimpse of that part of life that you see that we just don't, that we would see spiritual realities. The Bible has so many examples of people who just for a moment were given a glimpse by God of, the bigger picture that God always sees. A classic example of this is found in Genesis. You can go back to the, the first book of the Bible. You go back to Abraham, who was the first, the father of all the Jewish people. Anyone who's Jewish today traces back to Abraham. There's a story, true story from his life where he and his wife Sarah were unable to have kids. and they really, So Sarah had this brilliant idea. Why don't you sleep with my servant and have a son by her? Which you go like, it's in the Bible. Is that... No, it wasn't okay just because it was in the Bible. And things didn't work out real well. Abraham did father a child with Sarah's servant, Hagar. And it was all okay until it wasn't okay. Sarah and Abraham ended up having a son of their own. There was a lot of jealousy. Sarah insisted eventually that Abraham throw out Hagar and her son. 
So they found themselves, Hagar and her little boy, in the middle of a desert. She was watching her son die of thirst. She prayed this painful prayer to God. I just don't want to watch my little boy die here in the middle of nowhere. And God heard her prayer and sent an angel to her. And this angel said, God has heard your prayer, Hagar. Open your eyes and look. And this is Genesis 21, 19. God opened Hagar's eyes. She saw a well full of water. And she quickly filled her water container and she gave the boy a drink. There are so many stories like this where God sees things that we just don't. There's so many things that God can do that we can't. And faith is learning to look at the world not the way I see it, but the way God sees it. Things that look dangerous to me, things that look impossible to me, they look possible and fine to God. Faith's learning to see that the world from God's point of view. I think of it this way. When I first started mountain biking, I had a buddy who was more experienced. He had a better bike. He was just honestly braver than I was. So he would take me out mountain biking on some of these really difficult technical trails. We get to one section, and I look at it, and I just stop, and I go, dude, this looks like a trip to the ER. And he would like, he'd just laugh, no, this looks like fun. And he would just bomb right down through it. And so I'd try it too. And, and honestly, both of us were right. It was fun, and it was a trip to the ER. But at the same time, he was seeing things a little bit differently than I did because he had a little bit different ability. Just take that analogy and expand out. God looks at things that we think are difficult, if not impossible, and we say, I just can't do that. And God says, no, you can't. But we can together. This looks like a lot of fun. You're going to look back on this section of your life, if you'll just trust me and go with me on this, and you're going to say, that was amazing. Because God sees things so much differently. God is all-present, he's all-powerful, he's all-wise, and he can take you to places you could never go on your own. And it really just comes down to, do you trust him? Will you follow his invitation and his lead? Because here's the thing. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible with God. When you will open your heart and your mind to see things the way he does, to trust him, to follow him, Things become possible for you that never were before. You look at the the addiction you've got, and you're right. There's no way out on your own. It's got its claws too deeply into you. But you get God involved in that? Your finances may be as dry as the desert. Get God involved in that and see what happens. Relationally, things may have been difficult for you for so long. Maybe it's loneliness, or maybe it's just contentious relationships, lack of forgiveness. Get God involved in that and see what happens. So many different ways in in life could be different if we would just invite God's presence and trust his lead and take his wisdom. So here's my question for you, and maybe you've experienced this yourself. If all of this is true that I'm saying, why is it that so many people live lives so much less than what God would want them to have? I really think it comes down to this. So many people live with fear not faith. Look at the world through eyes of fear. So what happens when you do view the world without God's perspective? I want to take you to another true story from the Bible. This is in Numbers chapter 13. And uh, you can go ahead and try to go ahead and find that. It's toward the beginning of your Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I need to set the stage a little bit here. If you're newer to the Bible, some of this might not make sense. So I want to go back and just lay a little bit down so the context makes sense. We go back to Abraham. I just referred to him a little bit before. He was the father of all the Jewish people. God had made a promise to Abraham that he would give him a land that would be his own and that Abraham, all of his descendants, would be a great nation. 
And he was talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. At the time, though, Abraham had a hard time believing this because he and his wife had been childless, but eventually God did answer that prayer. Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 boys. Now, these great-grandsons of Abraham became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. So God is honoring this promise to Abraham. You're going to be a great nation. So around the time that these 12 boys are having families of their own, the whole family moved to the country of Egypt because there was a famine through the whole world and Egypt had food. So about 70 people, the wives, the kids, the grandkids, all moved to Egypt. They lived there. The Egyptians welcomed them. But as time went on, two things happened. The Hebrews grew to actually a nation within a nation. There was, over time, millions of them. And the Egyptians forgot how friendly they were with the Hebrew people. And they started to get worried over the course of hundreds of years. They started to say, who are these foreigners living here? They're going to take over. So the Egyptians actually made them slaves. 400 years in slavery. And yet the Hebrew people grew to about 4 million people. God heard their cries of, of oppression And he sent a deliverer named Moses. Even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you've probably heard of Moses. He's the one who brought the Ten Commandments of God down to the people of Israel. So Moses went to the king of Egypt, said, God tells you to let my people go. He was in no way willing to let all of his slave labor go. So there was some back and forth negotiation. God actually had to send ten decimating plagues against Egypt. Totally destroyed their economy, killed a bunch of livestock and people. Finally, the king of Egypt said enough. He surrendered to the will of God, and he let the Hebrew people go. So they left Egypt. They were on their way to what would become Israel, the land that God had promised them. But then Egypt's king changed his mind. He sent his army to go capture them and bring them back. The Hebrew people found themselves at the edge of the Red Sea, an army behind them, an ocean before them, nowhere to go. God parted the water. They literally walked through on a dry ocean bed with walls of water on either side of them through the ocean to the other side. The army of Egypt decided to do the same thing. God said, nope, I don't think so. He let the water come back, drowned everyone in the Egyptian army. God has delivered the people of Israel in a powerful way. And I'm telling you this because I want you to know that all of these people experienced so many powerful things of God, and it's now a year and a half later. They've walked through the desert from Egypt to the land that God had promised them. They're standing at the edge of the Jordan River, looking across into the land that God had promised their ancestor Abraham. Remember, it's not been a long time. It's been a year and a half since they've seen these great miracles of God. And all in this year and a half that they've been in the desert walking here, God's provided them food and water and taken care of them in so many ways. That's important that you know. They've seen some powerful things. Now we go to Numbers chapter 13 and we pick this story up. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did what the Lord commanded. He sent 12 spies into the land just to kind of do due diligence. If God's giving us this place, let's figure out what we get in the deal. Well, what they found was there were people living there. It wasn't unoccupied. The spies came back and they gave a divided report. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, this place is amazing. It's, it's rich. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's move-in ready. We should just, like, go right now. God's giving us this. We could be sleeping in beds tonight. Let's go. Ten of the spies didn't agree. They came back and said, yeah, it's a great place, but there's giants living there, and they're going to kill us all, and it's just not going to go well. And they were complaining. What's happening here is, Joshua and Caleb saw with eyes of faith. The other ten spies saw with eyes of fear. 
they were able to convince four million people that this was a bad idea because they were grumbling and complaining and they didn't trust God. I want you to, to listen to this. I'm going to read you the names of the 12 spies, and I want you to just see if you recognize any of them. It's uh, Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Gul, Caleb, and Joshua. Here's my point. I don't know anybody who's naming their kids Gaddy or Palti. Or, like, these are the guys who didn't have faith. These are the guys who had no respect for what God could do. They'd already seen all these great things, but they rebelled against Moses so much so that the people decided, we just need to get rid of Moses as our leader, get a new leader, and go back to Egypt. You mean the place where you guys were slaves? Why would you do that? But then I look at so many people today, and I think, well, we do the same thing. When we don't see with eyes of faith and we have fear, we go running back to destructive relationships and destructive habits and destructive patterns. It's not good, but it's what we know, so it's what we do. It's not healthy, but this is what happens when you don't have enough faith. And God was so disappointed with these people, he just literally wanted to wipe them out. He told Moses, I'm just going to start over with you. I had a deal with Abraham, but I'm just going to start over. And Moses prayed and prayed and prayed to God, and, and finally God relented. But he didn't allow any of those people to go into the promised land. He made them walk in the desert for 40 years while everybody who was 20 years of age and older just died. God still took care of them. He still fed them. Their shoes never wore out. But they didn't get to have all the things he'd promised them if they would have just trusted him. So this kills me. Every time I read the Bible, and if you've you know, been walking along with the Bible for a longer time, you've probably had this experience too. I read this and I think, you guys are idiots. How could you be so dumb? It's literally being handed to you. All you had to do was walk in and get it, and you let your fear get in the way? And I think, Brian, how many times have you not trusted God? So I can't judge too hard, but I still, I get so frustrated with them. And here's the thing. When you let fear get into your heart, fear exaggerates the problems, it exaggerates the difficulties, and it minimizes our abilities. It gets our eyes off God, and uh, it's not a good look. And people get stuck in the slavery of this, but there's so much that God wants to do. Now, here's the ironic thing. Forty years later, it's time to try this again. They're now again at the edge of the Jordan River. Moses has passed away. Joshua, one of the 12 spies, is now in charge. So let's try this again. They're going to send in a couple of spies this time. No more 12 spies, just two spies go into the land to go see what is there before they do the invasion and these two spies end up staying in the house of Rahab. And listen to what Rahab tells them. This is in Joshua chapter 2. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up onto the roof to talk with them. Now, Rahab lives in the land that they're going to invade. She's one of the Canaanites, one of the foreigners. She says, I know the Lord's given you this land. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. We've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This kills me. Forty years ago, all these people in this land who are giants and they're going to kill us all, they were just waiting to surrender. As soon as the, the Hebrew people walked in, they were like, hey, it's yours. Just let us go. Right? They've been living in terror of God. At the same time, the Israelites have been living in terror for no reason whatsoever. Nothing good happens when fear infects you. God wants you to look at the world a different way. And it's not a good look when you get fear infecting in your life. In fact, you get to the point where maybe you even blame God and you say it's his fault for getting you to this point. When it's not at all. What happens, though, 
if you can make the shift to start seeing with eyes of faith. In my experience, this is when things start coming into perspective. I'm not denying reality. I'm not saying that you don't have problems. I'm just saying it's not just you in this situation anymore. It's daunting, but what does it look like when it's you and God standing together looking at that problem? It's a complete game changer. Our faith opens the door to miracles. Our faith gives God permission to work in and through us. There's so many things that God would love to do in and through you. He wants your permission first. And he, he doesn't need it. Let's get that clear right away. God could do whatever he wanted, but it really wouldn't be in your best interest for him to do that. Sometimes if God did things for you without you acknowledging him, it might actually push you into greater disbelief. God so much wants you to be able to see that he can be trusted. God wants to do great things in and through you, but he needs you to say, God, I'm welcoming, you, welcoming your presence. Show me what can happen here. I want you, as I just wrap this up, to think about this. What would it be like to pray a simple prayer of trust to God, to invite him into your world, to invite him to help you tackle these obstacles and these, these hang-ups that you have that you just don't have a way out of? To, to pray a simple prayer like, God, I look at the problems around me and my heart hurts for hungry people and I want to do something about that, but I don't know what to do. Maybe you look within and you think, find, find things in your heart that you know shouldn't be there and you just pray a painfully honest prayer to God and say, I don't think this should be a part of my life anymore, but I don't know how to get rid of it. You're inviting God to work. What if you were to pray an, an honest prayer where you just say, God, there are so many things that I see that just need to be different, but I just don't know where to start. I want my neighbors to, to come to know you, and I don't even know where to start that conversation. I'm telling you what, when you see the world through eyes of faith, there's all kinds of opportunities that will appear to you that would never have been there before. God would love, like, God is just waiting to say, for you to say things like this because he says, look, we're on the same page here. Let's go to work. This journey of daring faith that we're going on, it could be a life-changing experience for you if you'll just lean into it. Over the next several weeks as we talk about this, would you just simply be open to the idea that God wants to do more through you than you've ever done before or even imagined would be possible? If you're willing to at least consider going on this faith journey, I want to ask you to do four things. When you do this, just think about this. Number one, there is nothing quite like going through life with other people. If you're not currently in a life group, now's the time to get in one. We'll help you get into one. If you're watching online and you're still doing social distancing, we even have online groups that you can be a part of. Reach out and get into a group. This is an opportunity for you to even bounce things off of other people that you're learning, to ask questions, to study. We have Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, leading the discussion every week with a video presentation, and then your group leader will help bring these things out, and you can pray for each other and share life together. So get in a group. Here's the second thing I want you to commit to doing. We have a memory verse every week that goes with the topic. You're going to see those. I would encourage you to memorize that every week. We have a couple of ways that you can do that to get those. We have some bookmarks here at the church building that you can take. It has all six memory verses on it. Also, we have some things that you can put on your smartphone. So it's like a, you can put your lock screen as the Daring Faith memory verse for each week. I want you to engage that way. Get God's word in your mind and give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Number three. Make a commitment to be here for each one of these messages, whether it's online or in person. Engage in this process. Be open to what God wants to do through you. And this last thing is so important, so essential. It's foundational even. We talk about trusting God. 
the first rung of the ladder is to trust Jesus as Lord. To completely say, God, I, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And when, when you look to Jesus as your Lord, the leader of your life, you're also inviting him to be your savior, to forgive you of your sins. And this is the starting point to true life. That's what we're about here. We want to help people get connected to God, and we want to help people get connected to each other, but the only way to do that is through Jesus. So if, if you haven't made a commitment to Jesus, maybe your step of daring faith is just to come to him and say, I'm ready, my life is yours. Hey, together, let's just explore what God could do through us if we'll just have daring faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have in so many ways showed us that you are faithful. I pray that through this experience that we're taking together as a church, you will grow our faith and our trust and our hope, that you will allow us to see things that were never going to be possible on our own, that you would do miraculous things in our lives and through this church in this community. We're praying and we're expecting big things. We know that you can do anything. We know that you love people, and we, uh, we just are so looking forward to the great things that you can do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.